0: Now today, we're going to go to the book of Philemon. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Philemon. I'm going to read for you from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. And allow me to read the Word of God to you this morning. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphaeus, our sister, and Acapus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus.' I pray that your partnership with us, and that's the word koinonia, your koinonia with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, my brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Let's bow and we have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that your word will become a word in season for us This morning, I pray that you anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, with simplicity, but also with authority. And may your word encourage us and cause us to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And Lord Jesus, now speak to us as all of us listen. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before Abraham Lincoln became the president of the United States, he was actually a a lawyer by profession. And there was one occasion when he was approached by a rich man who wanted to press charges against a poor farmer because the poor farmer owed him $2.50. Now, of course, the rich man do not need that money, but he wanted to sue the farmer just out of spite. And Lincoln tried to dissuade the rich man from doing so, but he could not. The rich man was just adamant about doing it. And so when Lincoln saw that this man was not going to change his mind, he agreed to take his case and charged him $10 for his fees. He then took the the $10 and gave half of it to the poor farmer, who of course willingly confessed to the debt, paid the $250 to to the rich man, And the farmer actually walked away $2.50 richer. Now, you go figure. This is exactly what the book of Philemon is all about. It's about restitution that is made through a third party. Listen, the apostle Paul stood in the gap for Onesimus, the runaway slave, just as Abraham Lincoln stood in the gap for a poor farmer. See, and through this situation, we see a reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our divine advocate. Now, take a minute and let this sink in. Think about it. Think about our Lord Jesus. He is our divine advocate. He o—he paid a debt he didn't owe, whereas we owe a debt that we couldn't pay. But Christ Jesus pay the debt so that today all of us can be debt-free. And this is really what the book of Philemon is picturing for all of us. So allow me a few minutes now to give you the background to this unique and little-known letter in the New Testament. The book of Philemon is the shortest of Paul's epistles it actually contains only 335 Greek words in the original text, a very short letter. But I'd like you to notice this, that it is a personal letter, but not a private one in the sense that it was written to Philemon personally, but it was addressed to other people as well. So question, why was this letter written? Now here's the context. Onesimus was a slave in Philemon's household. And apparently, uh, he was not a very good slave, uh, which is why uh, Paul actually wrote in verse 11, formerly he was useless to you. And actually, when, when Paul wrote formerly Onesimus was useless to you, there was a play of words here because the word Onesimus, the name Onesimus actually means useful or profitable, And what Paul is saying to Philemon is, formerly Onesimus was useful, was actually useless to you. In fact, what happened was this, that Onesimus as a slave actually ended up stealing from his master Philemon and then after that running away. And and that was why Paul actually wrote in verse 18 of Philemon chapter 1, he said this, if he has done any wrong or owe you anything, charge it. To me, Paul says, and I will pay back. So what happened was, after running away from Philemon, Onesimus ended up hiding in the big city of Rome. Now, during that time, it was a common tactic of runaway slaves to actually go to the big cities where you could actually blend in with the large population there and may never uh, be found. And it was there in Rome that Onesimus met up with the Apostle Paul. And under Paul's ministry, Onesimus was converted and later on became a spiritual son that Paul actually loved. But Paul knew, in in the course of this whole thing, Paul knew that the time will come when Onesimus must be reconciled back to his master. That would be the right thing to do. And so what is happening here is that Paul was doing the right thing by sending Onesimus back to Philemon. But to help set the stage for a reconciliation, Paul then wrote this letter of appeal on Onesimus' behalf and actually sent this letter, uh, with Onesimus actually carrying this letter, sent him back to his master, uh, Philemon. So I think that this letter, the the letter to Philemon, was actually a letter of appeal on Onesimus' behalf and for Philemon's benefit. So for today, let's plunge into the book uh, itself now. Now, the book of Philemon can be divided very beautifully into three segments. I think uh, the the whole structure of this book is a little bit like a hamburger, if I could put it this way. Now, the first part of the book, from verse 1 to verse 7, actually is like the bottom piece of the hamburger. And it deals with an affirmation. It begins with an affirmation from verse 1 to 7. And then the main bout of the book is the patty that is in between. Uh, This will be from verse 8 to verse 16. And then he tops it all off in the end with a nice bun at the top. And this will be from verses 17 all the way to 25. The first portion is an affirmation. The second is an appeal. Which forms the bulk of the book uh, of the letter, and then finally, he gave us an assurance, and that is found from verse 17 to 25. So, the whole thing looks like a hamburger. And what we're going to do is we're going to be studying each of this portion one week at a time. And for this week, we'll be focusing in on the affirmation. Okay, so follow along with me as I take you uh, through this. And this is such a beautiful portion. Now, if the first portion to do with affirmation from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul begins like this. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that this is the only epistle where Paul actually introduced himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, I'd like you to notice that Paul actually declared himself to be a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But he didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He is, even though it's the Roman Empire that is, in, that is incarcerating him, but he didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And that's what it is. I think the Apostle Paul was a prisoner, but only because of Christ. He, was, he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Out of the seven prison epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote, he referred to himself in different ways, but never as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is the only time. Uh, he referred to himself as an apostle twice. Uh, out of the seven epistles, prison epistles, twice he referred to himself as an apostle. Twice there was no destination. Three times he said, I'm Christ's servant. Okay, but only in the book of Philemon, he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And it's interesting that throughout this epistle, Paul actually referred to his incarceration at least four times. He referred to himself as a prisoner four times. I think he's subtly kind of reminding Philemon of his sufferings. Okay, and let me first tell you where they are found. In verse 1, he referred to himself, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, he says, I then, as Paul, an old man, look, look at all the pictures that really tucks at the heart, an old man and a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Then again in verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Then in verse 13 again, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains again for the gospel. Four times he referred to himself as a man in chains, in prison. I think this could be strategic uh, in order to make a stronger appeal to Philemon. I think the Apostle Paul was a very smart fellow, very strategic. He was using his sufferings as leverage over Philemon, who is most likely a tender and very kind person. Because after all, the name Philemon actually means one who kisses. So Philemon must be a very affectionate, kind person. And Paul knows that and he's appealing to that part of him, that compassionate part of Philemon. Uh, let me put it this way. Imagine if, 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 if Pastor Cheng Lai, our founding pastor, were to come to you and ask you to do him a favour. If you have been in this church long enough and you know the sacrifices that he has put in to build this church, it is unlikely for you to say no, isn't it? Why? Because that's, it has the same persuasive effect. If you know this person, if, if, you, if you respect what this person has done, it's very likely you will say yes to whatever requests he will make of you. It's the same here with the Apostle Paul. It has a same persuasive effect. Here is Paul, an old man, someone who is undergoing suffering for the sake of Christ, uh, now appealing to his spiritual son Philemon, would you do me this favour? Would you receive back Onesimus? And it's likely the answer will be yes. And what a strategic way of beginning the letter. Now, second question, who was this letter written to? Now, this letter was written, of course, we all know by now, Philemon. Who is Philemon? I think he's a well-to-do Christian at that time who loves the Lord, someone who loves his church. So much so that he even make his own home available for the church to meet. So if we look at verse 1, it informs us, that it was the church that meets in your home. So in other words, Philemon was actually the host of an early church. It was very common during that time, brothers and sisters, for churches to meet in homes. In fact, until AD 200, it was like that. It was only after the 3rd century AD did churches start to meet in separate buildings. See, and the Apostle Paul addressed Philemon as a dear friend and a fellow worker. And this communicates the great love and respect that Paul has towards Philemon. Now, notice also that even though it was a personal letter to Philemon, it was not private in the sense that there were others that were addressed in this letter. The letter was also addressed to Ephaeus, our sister, and Acapus, our fellow soldier. Now, Ephaeus is most likely the wife of Philemon. And I believe that she was personally addressed partly because culturally, when it comes to slaves, the wife are usually the one in charge. Okay, it's usually the wives uh, who actually look after the slaves in the house. And that's why since this matter has to do with a runaway slave, she was personally addressed. And then acapus is also likely to be Philemon's son and possibly the pastor of the church in Colossae. How do we know that? It's because Colossians chapter 4, verse 17 has a verse that says, tell Acapus, see to it that you complete the work that you have received in the Lord. In other words, Acapus was very likely the pastor of the church in Colossae. And Paul wanted him to complete and to do his ministry well. So with that as a backdrop, we can now dive into the affirmation, which you will find in verses 4 to verse 7. Now, notice here that the Apostle Paul began by affirming Philemon of two specific areas in his life. And it is my dream and my prayer that these two same area God will be able to find in our church. The same affirmation that he gave to Philemon, he would also be able to give it to us as a congregation. What are these two areas? They are basically his faith in the Lord and his love for the saints, his faith in the Lord, and his love for God's people. And then you find in verse 6 and 7, Paul then goes on to describe the quality of Philemon's faith and love in the form of a prayer. And in this prayer, he outlined two key affirmations, and here they are. And this is my dream for our church uh, as we go through this season and as we go as, as we continue in our discipleship journey that these two area will be something that the Lord can affirm in all of us. What are they? Number one, active faith. Active faith. If you can turn to someone sitting next to you in your home, in your living room, just tell them active faith. And that's what it is. If you look at verse six, listen to what Paul prayed, he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. That word partnership, there are two key words there. One is partnership, and that's where we get the Greek word koinonia. This word literally means participation or sharing or fellowship. No, and then he goes on to talk about understanding. And that's where we get the word apinose. And this is a term that is used to refer to the knowledge of things ethical and divine. So it's not just about common knowledge of stuff, but he's talking about a knowledge of the divine things, of ethical, divine things. In other words, the more we participate, the more we live out our faith, the more we share our faith, the more we will understand and really know the divine riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Now, don't miss this, brothers and sisters. What Paul is teaching us here is this. The more we actually participate in our faith, the more we lift out our faith, the more we actively share our faith, the more we will understand and, and know the divine riches that are ours in Christ Jesus The New King James Version translates verse 6 as this, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So listen, brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Faith that is actively shared and intentionally lived out is faith that pleases God. What kind of faith? brings pleasure to the heart of God. It is faith that is actively lived out. It is faith that is, that is proactively shared. And the principle here is this, the more we actively work out our faith, the more we will understand our faith. You see? And it's what the Apostle James is saying also in James chapter 2, verse 26, where, where James says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is also dead. You see, faith that is not worked out practically, faith that is not lived out with works and deeds and all that, it is dead. you see? And we can, we, you know, it's, put it this way, we can learn the spiritual principles, you know, my God is able to supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. Now, we all know that as a spiritual principle, but until we actually take a step of faith and we actually give, we will never understand God as our provider faith that is not lived out, we don't fully understand. You see, we can believe with all of our heart that God is our provider. But until we dare to step a step of faith, until we go through a season where we are actually in lack and we can still continue to trust God, we don't really understand God as our provider. You know, we can in our head know the principle, we must forgive those who sin against us. But the very next time someone offends you or someone just hurts you, we just revert back to our old ways and we retaliate. Then we don't, we will never understand the freedom of forgiveness. Another example, we can all study the principle God will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that as hate, but the moment we are alone, the moment we feel lonely, we run to someone else and we cry for attention then we will never, never understand the truth of God's abiding presence in our life. We'll never truly understand how we can be alone, but not lonely, because God's abiding presence is always with us. You see, faith that pleases God is faith that is being lived out, engaged in, participated in, and really shed. Now, one specific area that I want to challenge all of us this morning to actively engage in is the area of sharing our faith with others. You see, when Paul talked about actively sharing your faith here, he's, He's, he's talking about living out our faith. He's talking about working it out in real life. But he's also referring to the active sharing of the gospel, which is the source of all good things from God. So, And, and here I'm not just talking about mouthing of words like some memorized sales speech, but I'm talking about understanding that there is power that is inherently uh, present in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And which is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 15, this is what drove the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel everywhere. It's because he understood that in the gospel, it is the power to save. Now listen to what Paul says in Romans 15, verse 18 and 19. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, to the power of the Holy Spirit. So, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul is driven by this knowledge that there is power in the gospel, and he preached it everywhere he went. There is so much power in the gospel that the Apostle Paul himself also said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believe, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. I think about how important it is at this point, particularly during this season when there's so much uncertainties and so much fears, you know, there's, there's going on in our society, how important it is for us to actually proactively share the gospel. I think about one of our leaders right here in FCC who is sending our live stream links to her pre-believing family in Malaysia. And she's reporting to us that more and more of her family members are coming in to listen and to watch our live stream. You see, this is active faith at work. See, I remember another sister actually having a telephone conversation with a workmate on work related matters. But the conversation after a while turned to COVID-19 and the workmate wanted to know what is her view uh, uh, with regards to this crisis. And she ended up just sharing out of her family devotion, something that she was preparing to share with the family. She shared it with the workmate. And the long and short of it was in the end, she she actually led the workmate to Christ over the phone. But brothers and sisters, this is the power of the gospel at work. There is power in the gospel and it is worth sharing here, there and everywhere. And you know what? The more we actively share our faith, the fuller is our understanding of every good thing that we have gained in Christ. So the picture is this. The more you share, the more you understand. The more you live it out, the more you understand. And the more you understand, the more you want to live it out. The more you want to share. And it becomes a beautiful cycle that brings life everywhere. And I've actually discovered that those who actively share the gospel with others will get even more excited to keep sharing. Because they get to see the power of the gospel at work to transform people's life. So the more they share, the more they see. The more they see, the more they are convinced that there is power in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is power in this glorious gospel. So the more we live it out, the more we experience it, the more convinced we are of the power that we have in the Word of God. And the more we share with others, the more we see the effects of it happening in other people's life. So here's my point. Like Philemon, may all of us in FCC practice active faith. Faith that is intentionally lived out and faith that is proactively shared. And then we can let the world see and experience the power of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a good point for you to go to the comment section and say amen. You know, and I think this is what it's all about. Active faith, number one. May God look into our church, look into our connect groups, and be able to say, I commend you for having active faith. Here's the other thing. The second affirmation is about refreshing Love You find this in verse seven. "Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints." What a beautiful verse. "The love that pleases God is one that is others centered." The faith that pleases God is one that is lived out. But the love that pleases God is one that is others-centered. This is a type of love that brings delight to the heart of God and refreshing to the hearts of men. Now, what does it mean when Paul says, you have refreshed my heart? The word refresh in the Greek is the word anapao, from where we get the phrase to give Rest. To refresh means to give rest. So it gives us an agricultural picture of a land that is given rest by sowing light crops on it. Okay? So it is a Jewish practice that every seven years, the land will be given a time of rest. And this is the, the point when they were actually uh, sow light crops on it and give the land a time of rest. Now, other biblical usage includes Romans chapter 15, verse 32, where it says, So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed or be anapao, be refreshed. Now here, the Apostle Paul implies that true refreshment comes from one saying to another as they enjoy one another's company, okay? So how do I refresh you? It's by spending time with you and in our time of interaction, we refresh one another, okay? And we see another example of this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 17 to 18. Listen to this one. I was glad when Stephanas and Fortunatus and Archaeos arrived because they, they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul cited three brothers who came to him and as a result refreshed his spirit. Now this also means that all of us need to be refreshed in our spirit every now and then. And how do you get that refreshing? Except that you come together with like-minded people, kindred spirits, and in our fellowship around Christ, we all get refreshed inside. And brothers and sisters, do you realize that this is the reason why we have connect groups? This is the very reason why Christian fellowship exists. This is what Christian fellowship is supposed to do. It's supposed to refresh, bring rest to our inner man and refresh our hearts. I'm sure you have experienced this. When like-minded people come together, when kindred spirits come together, and then we share with one another. We talk about the things of God. We share time and we do life together. At the end of that encounter, everybody walks away refreshed, rejuvenated inside. And I think this is what Christian fellowship is all about. And may the Lord look into our church, look into our connect groups and be able to see that, wow, these people are refreshing one another. And Gordon MacDonald in his book, Renewing Your Spiritual Passion, actually talks about how this refreshing can happen if we are careful to actually keep our inner life fresh by balancing our time spent with three different groups of people. So I want to outline this idea uh, for you. Now, where do I find my refreshing? Now, there are three groups of people that we all can spend time with, okay? And uh, Gordon MacDonald calls them, the first group he calls them VDP, which actually stands for very draining people, you know? So there's one group of people that's very draining, he calls them. uh, And their motivation factor for your life will be a negative you know how it is that there are some people, if we just spend 10 minutes with them, we feel absolutely drained. We feel tired at the end of it. They seem to be sucking the life out of you. But if after 10 minutes, you wanted to shout, stop, stop. And they are what we would call very draining people. And they are all you can always find some of them around. The second group of people would be the very nice people. The VNP, very nice people. Motivation factor is zero. Meaning which, after you spend time with very nice people, your motivation factor does not come up, neither does it go down. It just stays neutral, okay? And there are lots of very nice people that we all have around us. Uh, This is uh, within the church context, they, they'll be the ones that after, my, uh, after the service, if I stand outside and shake your hands on the way out, they'll be the ones that will say to me, Pastor, good message. Pastor, nice word. But if I were to stop them and actually ask them, so what did you learn? I think they would go, ah, uh, uh, you understand? But they're just very nice people. And we all need many of them around you know, so that because they keep things nice and pleasant. Very nice people. But motivation factor, probably neutral. But there's a third group of people he calls the VRP, very resourceful people. And these are the people like our mentors, leaders, people whom if we spend time with them, after half an hour, after an hour, you walk away feeling like you could conquer the world. You walk away feeling like someone have just poured oil into you and refreshed you. See, and these are very resourceful people. Motivation factor is a positive. You come in a six, you go out at eight. See, so we have three groups of people, very draining people, who actually take away your motivation factor, which is negative, very nice people. These are people we let our hair down with and have fun with. And motivation factor sometimes neutral. And then we have very resourceful people. Uh, If you spend time with them, you walk away feeling like someone just refilled your tank. So what's my point? Now, my point is not that In order to refresh ourselves, we only spend time with the VRPs. No, that's not my point. Because I think all of us at one point, I'm not also asking you to avoid all the VDPs. That's not the point. Because all of us were once VDP. Would you agree? All of us were once very draining people, but thank God for very resourceful people who are willing to spend time with us. And as a result, lift us up until we become VNPs and then finally we can become VRPs ourselves. So what's my point? My point is not to ask you to avoid VDPs and only spend time with VRPs. But what I'm saying to you is this. In order to keep our tanks full, in order to keep our spirit refreshed, it is important that we have the ability to go up and down this whole ladder between these three groups of people. But according to our capacity... We make sure that we spend sufficient time with the VRPs so that we can keep our tanks full. And then as a result, we can give ourselves to people who are in need and we can help the VNPs to also become VRPs. And this is what mentoring is all about, that we will have that ability to input into other people's lives to lift them from where they are, from VDPs to VNPs to become VRPs themselves. I hope you catch What is going on here? To have that ability to move up and down, okay? Because all of us were once VDPs who are in need of VRPs. So may the Lord help us to really become men and women who can refresh others. And the key is we're able to balance our time spent with these three groups, depending on our capacity, then we maintain our motivation factor, okay? And our Lord Jesus also used this same term, anapao, Refreshing for the word rest in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when Jesus said to his disciples, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. power. This means, according to Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, that our source of refreshment actually is Christ. It is only because Philemon has been refreshed by the Lord That's why he can in turn refresh the hearts of others. And that word heart, refresh my heart, Paul says, the word heart is a Greek word, spachanon. And this word heart actually refers to our innermost being, refers to uh, the object of affection. So what is Paul saying here when he says, you have refreshed my heart, you have given rest to my heart? What he's saying is this, he's talking about the immaterial part of man, the emotional part, the the, the spiritual part, rather than the physical heart. He's not talking about the physical heart, he's talking about our innermost being. The physical heart has another Greek word for it, it's "cardia," from where we get the word cardiology, you see? Paul is really affirming Philemon for his commitment to draw first from the Lord Jesus and then in turn, therefore he becomes a VRP and he in turn then refresh others spiritually and emotionally. And brothers and sisters, it is so important for us to understand this because this is, this is what Christian relationship is all about we must make it our aim to refresh one another through our words and through our action. That when we meet, we don't just want to talk about foodie and food. We don't just want to talk about cricket and houses and stocks and bonds and shares. But we seek to refresh one another in the spirit by sharing what God has deposited in us. And in this way, we refresh one another. In this way, we can rejuvenate one another. In other words, we need to have spiritual conversations. We intentionally bring Christ into our fellowship or else it becomes purely socializing And this, because the source of all refreshing is found in Christ. See, and when two kindred spirits come together and we, we minister to each other out of our divine center, that is where we truly refresh one another's heart. So, Brothers and sisters, you who belong to a connect group, make sure that every connect group we walk away refreshed because we have introduced Christ into our our relationship. That every time we have spiritual conversation, we get deep with one another. And through that, we will refresh one another. And it will only happen when we consciously seek to fellowship around the Lord. And this can only happen when we constantly, first of all, fill our own wells with the riches of the Lord. If we have taken time to be with God in our our own closet, when we come together as a connect group, we'll be able to drink out of each other's well. And that is how we find refreshing. Uh, I like the way uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 22 puts it. Jesus said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of God is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new riches as well as old. Oh, what a beautiful picture of someone who is filling up his own storeroom with treasures, with riches. And then now he's able to bring out from his treasure trove, bring out from his own storeroom riches that are both old as well as new. And every one of us, if we keep ourselves constantly filling up with new things from God, constantly seeking from the Lord new treasures, then we are able to refresh one another in that way. Okay, how do we do that? We must first be instructed and then we can instruct others. And that is why, my, my brothers and sisters, we must invest in books, invest in broad podcasts, online courses, seminars, etc., so that we can keep our wells full. And then out of our fullness, we then refresh others. And that is why I want to encourage every one of us that we go back to the habit of reading. See, if we don't read, then we do not have anything worthwhile to pass on. And we need to be able to develop the habit of reading and want to challenge every one of us. Let's get back to reading. Then we have plenty of things to fill up our wells and then in turn, refresh others. And if you do read, then I want to challenge you in this. Tutor yourself to read beyond just popular books. Uh, Can I challenge you with this? That you learn to exercise the mind to reflect on the deeper things of God. So I would challenge you, read the classics. Read the Puritans. Uh, For a start, why don't you read the more contemplative authors? See? Now, generally, I would go to the popular authors, and we have many popular authors today, and they are all very good. Uh, And I actually go to the popular authors uh, to learn how to package information. Uh, I found that they are very, very good at that. you know they can have one idea and then they can package it in sixteen different ways, you know, like the prayer of jabez it 's a great book it 's a wonderful book written right by uh, um and and in this book uh that analyzes the Prayer of Jabez. It's a fantastic book. And then they are so good at packaging it that they can actually repackage that idea into so many different forms. So now we have the Prayer of Jabez for men, the Prayer of Jabez for women, for children, for your dog, for your butler. You know, you can have so many different packaging of the same idea. And it's amazing. And I I go to the popular writers to learn how to package content. And they are so excellent uh, at it. But I go to the Puritans and the contemplative authors to try and learn how to reflect and how to think beyond. Uh, so we have contemplatives like Thomas Kelly, Thomas Kempis, A.W. Tozer, J.I. Packer, John Stott, and people like that, even Tim Keller. And by the time you finish reading, you know, how, how do you know you're reading something really deep? It's by, by the time you finish paragraph two, you have forgotten what paragraph one is all about. And you have to reread it all over again. It's just deep. And it requires you to apply your mind to it and to really understand what the author is, is saying, see? And I think we need to, to train ourselves to read and to read deeply and to read all jaundice so that we can exercise our mind to contemplate. Now, as a spiritual habit, and I, I try to give it to my pastors as well, uh, I personally set aside four hours of what I call an extended think time every week to try and pray, to reflect, and to think. And during this time, I often take what I read now, whatever book I'm reading, I glean from the author and then I try to integrate it with whatever prior knowledge I have, uh, past reflection that I have, I integrate it all together and then out of that form frameworks. I draw diagrams and I outline principles and these are the things that I actually pass on to the people that I'm mentoring. And I find that this is such a useful thing for mentoring the next generation. Uh, Because they would often find that the time we spend together becomes profitable and meaningful. And there's always something that they can take home. So, brothers and sisters, here's my point. There is no better time for us to practice active faith and refreshing love than during this period of COVID-19 lockdown. I think this is an opportune moment for us to first fill up our own wells through times of reflection, reading and studying the Word of God, reading spiritual books, etc. And then after that, we intentionally take what we have learned and we look out for opportunities to refresh others. Wherever we go, we start spiritual conversation and we refresh the hearts of those who are living in uncertainty, fear or hopelessness. I think this is a time. Brothers and sisters, for all of us to return to active faith and refreshing love. Let me end this morning by reading for you a passage out of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 8, and then I summarize what we, we talked about thus far. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 and 8. I'd like you to read carefully and notice what is at the start and what is at the end, okay? For this very reason, Here, the Apostle Peter is outlining for us the virtues of the Christian life. And you notice that there is a progressive thing where one virtue is added on to another. See? But you notice, where is the starting point? Look at the verse carefully. Where is the starting point? That's right. It starts with faith. Because in Christianity, everything begins with faith. See, Paul says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and then other things, right? So everything starts with faith, okay? For without faith, it is impossible to please God. But notice where's the ending point. Faith, you add goodness. Goodness, you add knowledge. Knowledge, you add self-control. But what is the last thing? That's right, it's love. Love. It starts with faith and it ends with love. This means that when our faith is fully developed, when our faith is fully mature, it manifests itself as love. See, active faith will finally lead to refreshing love. And here's the key. If we want our faith to grow and to progress, we must put it into action. And that is the challenge that the Holy Spirit is placing before us in this first part of Philemon. And as we actively share And participate in our faith, like what Philemon did. Our faith will grow. And to our faith, we add goodness, then knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and finally it will mature and become refreshing love. It's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. James says in James 1.22, in the King James Version, he says, but be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving your own self. Here again, James is challenging us in order for faith to develop and to grow into refreshing love. It must be actively worked out. You see, because faith without works is dead. You see, and the Greek word that is used here in James 1.22 to describe the word hearer. It's the word acrotes, which is used to describe people. It's a very interesting word picture. It's used to describe people who want to sit into an audit course rather than a credit course, you know. You can go to a university and just audit a course, meaning which I'm willing to sit into the lectures, but I don't want to do any coursework. So that's an audit student. Uh, James used that word picture for someone who is a hearer of God's Word. In other words, I'm willing to hear God's Word, I'm willing to learn, but I'm not willing to do the coursework. I'm not willing to, uh, to to go through what I need to go through and apply that Word to my life. So my question for all of us as we seek to have active faith is this, are you an audit or credit student of the Word of God? I pray that when God looks into Our church, when God looks into our connect groups, He will be able to affirm all of us, just like He affirmed Philemon, that all of you have an active faith that is constantly being lived out and proactively shared. And as a result, we will begin to develop a refreshing love that will bring joy, encouragement and refreshment to others. I think it is so important in this season as many people are looking for hope, this hope can only be found in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's time for us to actively lift up our faith and at the same time, proactively share our faith. There are so many people looking for comfort and encouragement and it can only come when you and I as the church rise up, fill up our own wells and then in turn, allow others to drink from it and so that out of this, their hearts can be refreshed. My brothers and sisters, as we bring this session to a close, I want to challenge everyone in FCC. Let us return to these two things, active faith and refreshing love. Would you, wherever you are in your living room, would you bow your heads with me as I lead you to pray? Thank you, Lord. Wherever you are, would you just ask yourself this week, is there someone that you can proactively reach out to? Is there someone that you can send a a link to or send them a word of encouragement? Is there someone that you can show practical love to in a time like this? so that we can actively practice our faith in a time like this and we can proactively share this wonderful gospel that all of us have been given. And would you do something this week, they'll be able to refresh somebody's heart. And you can only do that, remember, if you would take time first and foremost to fill up your own wells. Take time to be with people who are your VRPs, And fill up your own wells. And then in turn, we intentionally look for people that we can refresh. This is how we can proactively lift out our faith this week. And my prayer for you this morning as we close is that God will open up every opportunity, give you open doors where you can proactively lift out your faith in practical ways and proactively share the gospel and refresh somebody's heart. So would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your Word. I pray that as you look into our church and you look into our connect groups, you'll be able to see men and women who are practising our faith actively. Lord, may you be able to look in and affirm that here is a group of people, here's a community of people who have active faith and have refreshing love for one another. And Lord, I pray that during this season, every one of us will have that opportunity to be able to refresh someone else with a word of encouragement, to be able to send a link, to be able to share the word and see people's hearts being refreshed, to see those far away from you being brought near to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that this will be a season for active faith and refreshing love. And for all this, we give you glory. We give you thanks. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.